First, I'd like to introduce Galen Beatty. Galen is a dedicated and passionate principal of Springland Schools in Marlborough, New Zealand. Zealand. Springland's is an innovative school in Marlborough's wine-growing region. It is part of a supportive and increasingly diverse community offering quality, authentic learning experiences for around 450 Year 0 to Year 6 students. As part of the Marlborough community of schools, which is 21 schools, Springland School has been working collaboratively to embed spirals of inquiry into their teaching and learning practices. Galen will share Springland, Springland School's journey from a teacher of inquiry model to the spirals of inquiry model and the impacts of PLGs on accelerating student achievement and growing teacher capability. Thanks so much. Yeah. 
that, that people are thinking their child doesn't read at home, their child um, doesn't do their homework. Um, so that they were the, the sort of the place where teachers were at with the inquiries. So I understand that you're a little bit familiar with spiral inquiries, is that right? So um, the first thing we needed to do as a school is to try and put the picture of year within um, how it all fitted together. So it wasn't an add-on, it was part of the process of professional development and learning. So um, we have our school beliefs about how what the reading looks like, what the writing looks like, um, and um, a professional development and deepening learning and deeper learning. So our spirals were a real driver for change for us. Um, and our learners in this model uh, was where the learning started. So the learning started with the learners and their families. Um, and on one side I have got what we call our mahitahis. So your collaborative groups, your professional learning groups, for us mahitahi means working together as one. So mahitahi is our work together to achieve the same outcome. So we formed um, groups across, professional learning groups across our team. To support the spirals, um, we also needed to moderate the information. So we, there's moderation process in, in play. So there's the team, the team leaders, the leadership teams all in, um, are all influencing that. Um, and then there was a monitoring of student achievement and monitoring, if you like, of the process of spirals. Um, and then we had support from our um, our panitaki, our cross school leads, and within school leads were appointed as leaders. So that was the that's the sort of the school structure. The teachers needed to know that their work was really important and it, it had value in our school as a professional learning. What I'm not going to talk about is everything else that we needed alongside that. So we did have the professional learning that needed to um, support that and um, the school culture and working on all the other factors. So I'm just going to talk about spirals and where they sit. So what I'm going to do is just go through the processes of human teachers in our school of the stages that we go through. So the first thing we do um, is scan. So we scan, we have the data from the previous year, the hard data. Um, achievement data. The teachers from the previous year, it's passed forward. So they start with that in the holidays before school. Um, and then we meet, every teacher meets with every child and their whanau, their family, to discuss their learning. So the child will say, um, we've got some questions that we advise together that we really want to know for our scanning. So if we're looking at learning behaviours, they would be questions about how they, um, what they do at home with reading, and therefore what the parent thinks, what the child thinks, what the parents think. So, um, and the interviews is to form a really strong parent partnership to help drive the communication with the families and, and form part of the scanning. Um, and there's things that we find that we can address really quickly as a result of that, we do. Um, otherwise it's um, just, forms part of the picture that we are um, creating. So in the scanning process, we talk about what scanning is and what scanning is not. 
and this is planned by the leadership team prior to each group meeting to bring their scanning evidence together. So scanning is an inquiry and evidence-seeking mindset, a wide perspective on learning involves finding out about what's happening for all learners. Um, so we sort of unpack what scanning is and what scanning is not. And that's in our context, it might look different for you, but that's what we do. So we, once we scan, we form, we have our professional learning groups and they come together for the first scan. And you're bringing, you're bringing some hard data and you're bringing your initial scanning information. But it's not enough because we have no soft data. So then they meet and decide on what soft data might inform them through their um, learning ahead. So um, we have some protocols that we've developed together. So we, part of the meeting is we check our protocols, our protocols for our professional learning groups that keep cropping up that are our puzzles of practice that 
unlocked. So our puzzles are practice are things that um, I, I know I can't get help with in the school. So it's not things like I'm having trouble with behaviour because I actually can go to my tutor teacher for one. Or, I, or I, I need support because I don't know how to frame up my writing project, but I know I've got experts in the team in the school who can do that. But they're not the, the puzzles of practice we want to unlock, they're the, the sort of the deep, deep puzzles that are stopping to children achieving that we really want to look at. So we work together and, and um, do that. So this happens in the first term at school. So by term one, we want every um, teacher in our school to have a hunch that they're working on through um, having spent the children, having focused on what they're doing, and having staff on their hunch. We have some um, support documents that the teachers can use, and we use this often. So if this is the student's learning behaviour when we're developing our hunch, Teachers will go and interview the students and they will say, for example, reading. And this is an actual example of reading, so reading. My students always seem to struggle when they are about six and I can't get them moving. And that's happening in two or three rooms. So what are the students' behaviours at reading time? So in your collaborative screen, the teacher will teach and two people come in and gather the data on student behaviour. So, um, They'll come to a meeting after that and they'll say, well, perhaps it's this reason, or maybe it's this reason, or is it because of this reason? And then they'll look at the teacher actions that might be contributing to their behaviour. So, student um, learning behaviour and then teacher's actions. So, the teachers will then decide, yes, they want more data and more evidence on that. So, another observation will be set up and the teacher who's doing the observation and gathering the data, the soft data, will be looking at what's the teacher doing to enable the child to learn. And they might, in this case, discover that the teacher wasn't actually using the language of reading to develop strategies. So it was really clear and obvious that the teacher's understanding of reading strategies wasn't as well developed. So they came out to a discussion about that. So it can move practice. That's a sort of split screen we use all the time. So we split screen for loss of the process. Okay, so um, once we've decided on our collaborative hunch, we look at what learning we need to do and how we'll learn this. So we might look at the research, um, we um, look at what expert partners we might have in the school. And this is where the observations and the, um, the collaborative three come together to do new learning. Every, every time they meet, there's the protocols, so they're pre-met and say these are our goals we're working on together as a collaborative team. They will gather some evidence, they'll come back, talk about the research that supports what they're thinking. So they might be using some of these things then they look at what actions they can take. They'll choose an action, um, and three weeks later, they'll come back and monitor the action to see if it's made an impact by observing both student and teacher. So student data, student actions, student behaviours, and teacher effectiveness. 
So the professional learning that we have in our school is directly related to the spirals and it has a research focus. So every time we meet, um, our spirals are fed in across the school. So after one round of spirals, everyone's done an observation, everyone's met, that's shared back. So we, come, we have a process for sharing. Um, so every team will come back and share their new learning and make it visible in the staff meeting. We mix up our teams to get some coherence between all of the spirals in the school so we can then decide together what professional learning we might need as a school to move us into the next stages. And sometimes it's really common threads, and sometimes everybody needs the same thing, and sometimes there's things that we can um, buddy up with and do in our own school, but sometimes we need external support to move practice. So it's come from the students, it's come from the teachers, it's come from their work together, and the research, and then it comes back to the, um, the staff who work together. Working alongside that is the leadership team development. So as, as the process moves on, the leadership team work on each stage,
Here's the data to say this is the growth and this is the impact of age. So these are just some of the things that teachers have found in a three week. school, one of the most diverse in Victoria, provides 
and environment where all staff and students can achieve success and strive for excellence. In the last five years, a key focus for leadership and teachers at Dandenong High School has been the development of a shared pedagogical approach to ensure excellent and consistent teaching in every classroom. Susan Ogden. It's a large school. 
1,800 students from 7 to 12 on one site, and it is, we serve a low socioeconomic community. In Victoria, the level of disadvantage is mentioned by a number, it's called the SFOE. We are 0.79, so the higher you are, the greatest disadvantage, and we're one of the highest in the state. 25% of our students are refugees or asylum seekers, many of them coming directly into the country, uh, and a significant number coming from war-torn background and trauma, often with little English, or their first phase English learners, and many of them have had no formal secondary school or primary school in their home country. And our population is highly transient. So while our global population of students stays about, about 1,800 to 2,000, each year we have a turnaround of 200 students, bodies going in and out, and some going in and out and back again as they move to deal with their level of poverty or disadvantage. So transient, not transient in teachers, transient in students. And we're one of the most culturally diverse schools in Australia. In our 1800, we have 70 different nationalities and 79 different languages within the student population. So it's a community with significant challenges. And I'm sure many of you are principals of similar schools or with similar challenges. It's a place where you do feel that you're making a difference every day and it is incredibly rewarding because most of our students and families realise that learning is a way that our students can have opportunities and move beyond the space they are now to a better future. But we also are very clear that we don't make excuses. So we want to create a school with a clear vision and educated purpose to provide an environment where every student can achieve success and strive for excellence the challenges are blockers that together we will overcome. So I thought about changing this slide after listening to Vivian's presentation yesterday because she talked about change and I put up there a period of intense change and the importance of focusing on the improvement and narrowing down. But I did want to show you the journey of the school um, over the last um, 14 years because it's been significant. And I've separated into phases. And one thing I would say with you is that as we have moved through those phases, our focus has narrowed, which I think is a good thing. So in 2005, three schools in the local area agreed to merge. They agreed to merge because when they looked as individual schools at their data, each of them felt that they weren't serving the needs of their community or meeting those needs. 2008 to 2011, we built a new school, literally. $45 million rebuild, We've seen some of the pictures of the new buildings. We created a new educational entity, new vision, processes, and structures. In 2012, when I became a principal, our focus narrowed to teaching and learning and what's happening in the classroom. And how do we define excellent practice and degree pedagogy? And then 16 to 19, where we are now, is a focus on how do we improve? How do we ensure excellence of teaching practice in every classroom? And you'll notice that there's an overlap between the bottom two phases. So in 2015, the three elements up there were critical for us because they helped diagnose some of the problems of practice we were facing at the school. School review, I don't need to explain, so we had a, a comprehensive school review of where we were at. UNOS is the University of Melbourne's network of schools, where 18 schools were working together with, um, the, with Melbourne University to identify a problem of practice or an area for improvement within the school and working focus groups around that. And I'll talk about the education state in a minute. 
what that information, working with other schools and looking at our data told us was, we're doing some things well. And we were, there was no doubt. We come through a huge redevelopment, recreation of the school, and some really strong things were in place. But there was inconsistency in our student learning data. I go back to Misty's presentation this morning. It was clear that students in our top two bands between seven and nine were not progressing, some were going backwards. And there was pockets of excellence in our teaching practice. Some outstanding teaching happening across the school. And this was magnified because of the new model we brought in. Seven schools in the one schools. So seven separate houses with students in year seven to 12 learning in them. So there were issues for us if we were going to ensure consistent improvement across the school. And if you know what's been happening in Victoria for um, the last um, five years, then there's a shift, a whole system shift about collective improvement, which was fantastic for us. It was a real driver because it gave us a language around school improvement that we hadn't had before. So if I go back to then where we were at, we knew that we needed to ensure consistency of teacher practice and learning across the school. And we knew that to do that, we had to have a shared pedagogical approach that teachers were implementing across the classroom a definition of what excellence in practice looks like. Professor David Hopkins in 2009 stated, and I heard somebody else at the table group say this yesterday, unless you can define excellence in practice and make it common, you can't improve the quality of teaching. And that made sense to us. So we developed what we called the design for learning. Now I'm sure it's hard for you to read um, on the screen. The top two lines and the bottom line are from the department, they're our school visions. The practice principles, the Victoria State underpin quality teaching, the high impact teaching strategies that achieve that. The bit in the middle was what we worked to develop. That is our definition of what excellence in practice looks like. The top orange, pale orange line is our learning sequences. It's actually moving from curriculum frameworks which explains to our teachers what they need to teach to a scope and sequence which includes how which actually has um, assessment practices, collection of evidence practices embedded within it, and underneath in the pale group are phases of the lesson. What a fantastic quality lesson looks like, what are the different stages of it that teachers can work through to maximise learning. Well, what happened with me, and I'm really embarrassed, this happened in 2016, I'm embarrassed that this was our epiphany because now it seems so obvious. Um, but I was at a PD at Melbourne Uni, part of the Inlust project, and I was listening to Misty Johnny. And she was doing a similar presentation that she did this morning. And I was sitting there listening, those questions came up in my mind. Because we were so focused <coughs> on student learning, and yet the largest question, the biggest question facing me and facing my school was, are we providing learning for our teachers so that they can deliver on the work that we want them to do? And the answer was really quick, was no. Our teaching and learning model was antiquated and ineffective. Most of the delivery for our teacher learning was they went outside the school. They opted in, they chose. We had an elaborate process about how they selected professional learning. A lot of it happened on Friday afternoons, funnily enough, and a lot of it was connected to the quality of lunch. So if there was a great provider of professional learning, where the food was good, more and more teachers wanted to go. And there was no real practical application. 
Most of you would be aware that unless learning is applied very soon after the learning happens, then it doesn't go into your mental model, it doesn't become habit, it doesn't become part of your practice. So we realised that um, if we wanted to improve student learning, we had to improve staff learning first, and we had to establish a professional learning community where everyone accepts, including me, including the principal, that they are a learner, and we need to move uh, on, we need to work on improving our practice. And not just that we accept that, but we acknowledge it's part of our professional responsibility. As professionals, each of us needs to improve and develop our practice so that we get better. And so we did what, funnily enough, Vivian asked us to do in the workshop this morning, is we sat and we looked at and we interrogated our professional learning model, and we started to explore what did it need to look like if we not only designed, we're going to design this pedagogical approach, but we were going to get our teachers to teach it. And we came up with a game, uh, an epiphany, which seems again so obvious, which is that there are incredible similarities between student and teacher learning. They're all learning. Um, but teacher learning needs to be as personalised, it needs to be targeted to point of need, it needs to be as purposeful, and for teachers in the classroom, it, there needs to be clear through lines for them between the school's strategic intent and what they're actually learning. They need to see the value, they need to see the purpose. So if I come back to what we're trying to achieve, and our first step was to develop these learning sequences, and we worked out very quickly um, that we couldn't just debunk design learning sequences and give these to the teachers. In order for them to learn, because there was a how element embedded within them, they had to be part of the design process. So the first thing that we did was we needed to provide time to learn. We took out of our meeting schedule information delivery meetings. We narrowed down the two hours of meeting that the Union in Victoria allowed us to have after school to be about teacher learning and supporting this work. We then decided to work out where were teachers at in terms of the changes and the new learning we wanted to introduce. And so we developed a learning continuum. Down the side, and it will be hard for you to read, are some key elements of the sequences that we were trying to develop and we were trying to introduce, and we asked teachers to self-assess. Now, when we first did this, because we were going to use that information to target the professional learning internally, when we first did this, it didn't look like a rubric and it didn't have all the information. We had to add that because we found that an awful lot of our teachers were already masters in most of it. So when they assessed themselves, they said, no, nah, right, we're fine. So we went into elaborations and evidence so that they had to show where they were at in the continuum. And that was incredibly powerful. The other thing we did was, didn't just provide time during the week for teachers to, to learn this work and, and be part of the development of this work. We also gave them some time to learn. We said for the first term, we'll be developing sequences, but you'll be playing in the sand. We're not going to use them, but you are going to have a go and we are going to learn from that because we're all learning together and we're doing something for the first time. And that was very effective. And we realised that for teachers learning on their own, it is daunting. So we set up a buddy system with a leader or a high quality practitioner as the buddy and two other teachers and they designed and worked together. And then we got teachers to reassess throughout the process, which we tracked. So we went back to the first um, Staff learning continuum, and we could measure then what the impact of the professional learning and the body structure was having on teacher confidence along those elements of the learning sequences. And we developed checkpoints when the work was due, so we broke the learning up 
into small, measurable chunks, small steps, uh, incremental, and then we focused on acknowledging success and progress as we went. And it was successful. What we then did, so that was the end of 2017, was we took that success because staff were feeling very positive about the new learning model and we expanded it. So rather than just looking at one element that we were trying to bring in, we started to think about professional learning for teachers right across the school, whether they're our BIT, which is our graduate teachers, whether through the pre-service teaching, our performance and development culture, we started to try and make sure that all of our staff learning was the highest quality. And we introduced the idea of observation of <coughs> practice. Our model is there. Um, and that had a number of benefits, not just because if you are having instructional coaching or you are observing peers, that you get really um, detailed feedback on your own practice and it's situational in the classroom. But for leaders, we got an idea of what was happening in the classroom. And there is no better way to target your next step in professional learning, to know what support people need, um, than actually going to have a look. And it helped us with some of the staff that were pushing back. It helped us to have conversations to challenge theories of action that we wouldn't have been able to do until we initiate if we didn't know what was happening in the classroom. So in 2018, we've moved from designing to implementing, and we needed to look at our approach again. We needed to move from a buddy approach to a PLT structure because our learning was now about implementing what we had designed. And so PLTs became, you call them PLCs, we call them PLTs, professional learning teams. PLTs became year-level subject-based groups. So we have seven houses, so seven year seven English groups. There was one representative from each of those teaching teams in a PLT. And they were working and supporting each other through implementing the learning sequences for the first time. Now the evidence of our progress, PLTs went well. Staff loved them, they were fantastic. There was a real shift in the type of language in the staff room. It was around teaching and learning. It was around student progress as opposed to student behaviour. So that was great. What we found, though, was there was variance in the quality of what was happening in the PLTs. So the pockets of excellence that we had in student learning from the start of the journey was now in staff learning. We had PLTs that were functioning at a high level, and those that were still organising worksheets and talking about little Johnny and his behaviour on Thursday afternoon. And there was an issue of implementation integrity. Some PLTs were implementing the new approach, some teachers and PLTs weren't. And so we knew, and we got feedback from somebody shadowing me, so a, a, a pre-preschool shadowing me from Bloodstone, who said, teachers know what they have to do. There's an incredible clarity around purpose. There's a shared purpose, they know what they have to do and the why, it's just that not all of them a lot of them are talking about it. A lot of them can do bits of it if you are, if they know you're coming to walk past, but they're not all doing it all the time. So our question this year, and I just want to get to my key learning, so I'll hurry up, is that in 2019, the year that we've called Getting Better at Getting Better, not just Getting Better, is that we need to make sure we move from that shared purpose, that collective understanding, to consistent action. And so our focus has been on expanding PLTs and ensuring that teacher learning 
is based on deliberate practice. That there is a cohesion about what's happening in each of your team. That we're improving our teaching, not by talking or reading about it, because you can't improve teaching that way. That each PLT is identifying one element of their practice and focus on just one. They are trialing it, they are testing it in the classroom. They are being vulnerable because they're taking on something new, which is a challenge to them. And then they are evaluating and sharing with others. So we have developed a framework. Because one of the things Vivian talked about this morning, a real tension for us from the beginning was, you've got autonomy of the group. If we're differentiating, then the group will know what part of their practice they want to improve on. And you've got strategic intent. And how do you bring them together? Do you say we're all working on learning intentions this um, semester because that's what you believe is an area of focus? Or do you allow the group to select the element of practice they want to work on? And what we decided to do was rather than take the autonomy away from the group, was develop a framework which provided that consistency. And so within each framework for each semester, the teachers go through learning sprints. And they're short, sharp learning focuses of practice. They're in, they go over five weeks. There is a prepare phase that might be one or two sessions where they identify looking at data, talking through, looking at their own zone of challenge and the strategic intent of the school, what do I want to focus on? They experiment, they find some strategies and within the group they trial those, they test those. In term two, they'll actually be observing each other, <coughs> trying and testing, and then they review. Because our staff learning model is belief needs to be very much focused on the impact on student learning, the learning by doing that teachers are getting out there and they are trialing these things. That is the only way you expand uh, your, um, your thinking and your learning models. And they iterate levels so they get better all the time. So very quickly, what have I learned? And perhaps some of your questions can tease these out. Um, the importance of establishing and communicating the line. And we've talked about that over the two days, that moral imperative, and we need to keep going back to that. And it's funny, isn't it, the quote there from Ben Kaufman, that people will work towards something if they have a higher purpose to work towards beyond themselves. They will, and in teaching it's so easy to find, because I haven't been a teacher that doesn't care about the students. I've learned that effective evaluation and measuring progress are critical, you know, not just because that helps you with your decision making and where to next, but because that helps you communicate then the progress and it builds momentum and that's critical. And the how do you know is not just through your data, it's through your teacher stories, it's through your reflections, it's through your observations. I've learned about the power of language and I've really learned about this because it is critical. As Vivian said, don't use the word change. People start to shudder when you say that. Use the word improvement. We started by talking about we were going to challenge practice. We changed to build expertise. That's far more positive, it's far more liberating. Teachers feel that they're part of the process. And we always talk about improving teaching, not teachers. Because if you're focusing on somebody's practice, that can be personal, it can be confrontational. So we want quality teaching across the school because our teachers have the ability to do that. And the quote that is really driving us at the moment is that one from Dylan Williams. Because often, that's the first place teachers go. You keep going on about improvement, is that because we're not good enough? No, it's because we can get better. And we want to be getting better because our students deserve that. And 
solely, and then your vulnerability as a learner. Every leader in your school is a learner too, and as Leafwood said, a good model of learning is not that you got it all right and here's you something you prepared earlier. A good model of learning um, is showing the struggle of learning because learning can be challenging. It's being quite frank when you don't know, and letting others see and you can I think a fantastic uh, example for me of that on the first morning here was Natalie's story when she told very openly about where she is in some challenges that she's facing in her work at the moment. And the feel in the room when she did that, the acknowledgement of some challenges that you're all facing was incredibly powerful because it communicates the message that we're doing it together. We're in it together. And that's so important. And finally, it's challenging work. I love this quote. Um, it's a quote from Sparks said it in an interview with Michael Fullman. He said, change or improvement in education is technically simple, yet socially complex. Of course it is, because we're, deep, uh, we're dealing with people. And whether those people are parents, or students, or teachers, or just other leaders. Thank you.
And that's why I sort of said I focused on spirals, but I didn't focus on the other things we were doing in the school. So alongside that, then, so what writing looked like, and what about the moderation across our school, and what about the data, and how do teachers know what data looks like, and where's the consistency? So that all went alongside the work in a parallel piece. Susan, with your journey and picking the, the, the pathways in your journey, what led you to, to, to taking that approach of yours? I think, um, I think for us, and, and it's interesting because um, Gaby's been talking about um, the directive and the, um, the system approach to one of the key priorities. Um, and we have those um, clearly in mind. So we have an ARP uh, which outlines what our key initiatives will be. But for us, it's very much about having goals within goals within goals. And you need to define each individual teacher. We believe that each individual teacher should be able to understand what their part of their own learning and contribution should be within the whole school improvement. So it's providing an opportunity for a teacher within their professional development plan to then see the links from their classroom and their own learning all the way through. And the PLT is for us an opportunity for teachers to get clarity around that, to work with other teachers to identify a focus that uh, is for all of them, but it's ultimately for an individual to see how they fit. Those three lines are so important, and I think we've just started to see the significance of them over the last um, two years. Thank you both for your presentations. Um, they were rich and very reflective of our journey here in Canberra. Um, one of the things I'm particularly interested in, both of you touched on it, was this, um, it's not just sufficient to believe, we actually have to do. And both of you using different language, talked about the need for us um, as leaders and teachers to be vulnerable. And to be vulnerable with each other. Um, and Gaylin, you particularly used an example from John, where he realised that he was impacting and constraining the student in the writing. And I'm interested in your reflections about your journeys in your school science about how you built a culture where people could be vulnerable because that's so critical to improving outcomes for kids. It is a really good question because the culture of um, the PLGs started before spirals. So it's a culture of the safe and the trust developed by the um, professional learning groups, developed through conversations, but about and also developing the protocols. So these are what we agree to. So before we go into each other's rooms, what do we agree to purposes? What do we, how do we agree to act? Um, initially, maybe, I mean, we had things in our first protocols that you will sit down and you will not comment. They were like really, um, you, you know, you will not make any judgments about behaviour that you see in your room. You will not do this, you will not do this. So that was our first sort of protocols. And then we said, well, you don't need those on to protocols, so we kept refining and discussing what we agreed to, to keep safe, and some of the things were, it would have been linked to appraisal. So our initial um, spirals were not shared, so if you had a really bad lesson, because you're trying something new, it wasn't going to be held somewhere against you. So they, they were the early agreements, but now as time's gone on and trust has developed, teachers say, I want this is like my learning opportunity, so I want to, I, I want to have a 
told this is the purpose of the observation, these are the things we've agreed to happen, this is the conversation we're going to focus on afterwards. So those, those shared understandings of how it works are really critical to develop that culture and, and to not break them. Yeah, and I'll focus um, on one aspect. I'll focus on some leadership, because I have a team of 30 leaders. There are nine um, principal class and the others are leading teachers across the school. And one of the challenges when they went into the body system where they were working with two teachers is they didn't feel, not all of them felt as confident in uh, the learning sequences and the pedagogical approach itself. And they were very concerned and nervous. And there was some pushback, there's probably more pushback from the leaders going in and working with teachers that closely than there was from the actual teachers themselves. Because they said, I'm going to look like an idiot. I'm a leader here and I'm supposed to have the answers. If they ask me a question, I need to know what I'm talking about, and I don't. And you don't have any answers for me either. And so that idea that a leader is a learner and in a vulnerable space and learning with staff um, was really challenging um, for them. And I realised that if I was expecting teachers um, and leaders to do that, then I had to do the same myself. And so over the last 18 months, I've had to put myself um, in that position. And I think two things that were the most terrifying that stand out for me. One is that whole question of how do you move teachers to action in terms of changing their practice and taking that leap. Um, I decided that it was a question that I was really struggling with. I decided to ask the teachers. So at a curriculum day with my 250 staff, I sat there with a critical friend from Melbourne University and I had a conversation with him that they were allowed to watch. So it was a conversation where I was questioning and asking those things, and I did it in front of them. And I was absolutely terrified. I was physically shaking, even more nervous than I was at talking to you. And at one point, the critical friend actually held my hand because he was pretty scared too. <laughs> but at the end of the conversation, it was a bit like Frost, Frost Nixon because we were looking at each other. At the end of the conversation, we then opened it up to the teachers and we gave them mics. And we said, OK, you've heard my thinking, you've heard my concerns and questions, you've heard where I'm at, what's your response to that? And I listened. And that was a really challenging 